Oh, we're back. We are back to do, to do it all again. Beyond Words, episode two is brought to you by me and you, our friends, everybody who's listening today, yeah. (laughs) Welcome to episode two. We are rolling. Sweet. Hello. Episode number zero zero two. Two. Two or one. Well, I think because we did zero zero zero. But then we, at some point in the conversation, we I said think, it was one. Yeah. <laughs> so this is two. Yeah. Zero. I think zero 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 two. With four digits, we leave room for the thousands of yeah. episodes. Or we could even add another zero, too. It'd make it tens of thousands. Yeah. <laughs> we could just keep adding zero. We could talk forever. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> How are you, Felix? Pretty good. Yeah, I've been excited to to get back on the podcast. I think it's there's so much that transpired in a week. I mean, our last podcast was last Saturday. Saturday, Saturday yeah. And today's Friday. Yeah. Friday of the... Thir- th- no, today's Thursday, yeah. So. Right. Yeah, right. five, six days, five days, yeah. But in, in these five days, it's just, it, so much has changed. Yeah. Like, there's definitely none of this writing or anything happening, you know. No, when we last had the podcast, uh, I think it was like a day or two after uh, George Floyd had been killed. And I hadn't even looked at the news. I had hardly knew what was going on at that point. Yeah, I think ma- maybe it actually just happened that day. It was within, yeah. It was, with, it was, it right, was around right around that, that time. time. Yeah. And I just remember you told me, I was like, oh, shit. I, I didn't really know much anyway. Well, it, it changed things so quickly, too, which was pretty fascinating. Was, yeah. <laughs> it was zero to 100 real quick. Think Things are happening so crazily quickly now. Uh, every day, there's so much even being on lockdown, man, like, I'm like, why am I so busy? I'm mm-hmm. busy. Like, I wake up and I'm like, I have a lot to do today. How do I have so much to do? And it's a mindset, I know. But there's still, there's t- stuff to do. It's like, I can make my house a busy house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I got to clean the toilet. and got to walk the dog. Yeah. And there's things to do. Yeah. You know? I've I've been feeling a pressure because... Since this all happened, I lost my job for the retreat center uh, because there's no retreats now. Right. And I've noticed I've put a lot of pressure on myself to find something to do to fill this void of no work, no income. So just like scrambling to find an income. Right. And oh, I'm just going to, on a side note, I noticed in our last episode when I, when I re-listened, I told you this, I said like way too much for my own comfort <laughs> i don't even think i speak like that normally you don't yeah so don't. it's weird well i mean the podcast adds like an extra element of a larger audience it's yeah it's almost like public speaking without public speaking yeah but it should i don't think it should be treated that way <laughs> I, I, and i know because i've listened to other podcasts where i listen to the first episode and then i'll listen to a hundred episodes in 
and there's a dramatic difference for the most part, unless the person is already an experienced radio personality or someone who speaks a lot, but they just, you, you learn along the way how, how to speak clearly. And for me, I think using filler words like, like, and <laughs> like, like, and you know, yeah. like, you know, yeah. I think I use those partly because I'm a, it's a fear of putting my own opinion or expressing my own view out there. Wow. And so if I say, you know, I'm like this, like, so it, it's like that, but it isn't that it, I'm, I'm not being definite. I'm not being firm in how I feel or what my view is in the moment. Hmm. It's almost, I, I feel that energy in me. It's like, I'm, it's like I'm dancing around. Uh, That's deep. Something that I feel That's perhaps deep. it's also, yeah, I think it's also nervousness and. I mean, I was. I'll, I'll admit, I was definitely very nervous on the first one. It's like, mm-hmm. man, what are we going to talk about? What is? What are we going to say? Mm-hmm. You know, who's going to hear this? What does that mean? You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the nerves subsided. Yeah. Because I noticed as it went on, I said like less. Another thing that I would do was interrupt you, or not necessarily interrupt you, but just say uh huh, mm, yeah, mm-hmm, as you're speaking. I do the same, and, and it doesn't work very well on yeah. the mics. So yeah, I'm just bringing awareness to cool to my own way of speaking. I thought you were actually uh, quite exceptional uh, naturally. I didn't notice it. Maybe I'm just self-critical. So I, I, don't I, see fe- I felt I, I said um quite a bit um um. Mm-hmm. So it's good because it's it's helping us to sharpen our ability to communicate clearly. It's funny though with with the like thing. I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to say something similar to. Every time we said like as a kid. So we'd be at the dinner table and be like, oh, you know, and then like my friend and my f- other friend and he'd be like, something similar to, something oh. similar to, something similar to. He's like, that's what likes means. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it doesn't mean that, that that doesn't disappear. I've still said like, you know, in regular conversations. It's so ingrained it's in our... such an ingrained thing. It, m- most people do it unless they're really pro. As For example, I listened to Joe Gr- Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan doesn't say like, and most of his mm-hmm. guests don't either. For the most part, they're they're really skilled. I find it speaking, but but they're anyway. they're more trained professionals. Yeah. And Joe Rogan has how many thousands of podcasts? Thousands now? of podcasts, and before that, being a television host and actor. Yeah, it's just training. Mm-hmm. It's just practice. Uh, and I'm I'm totally confident I've that this will evolve and we'll get more skilled. Um, I've noticed too, the more I read, the more, the better my language is, the more accurate I can speak. It's, it's, it, there's an absorption that happens like, like a sponge of the brain. The more I'm reading intelligently written books or articles, the better I, I find myself speaking better instantly. Mm. So it's what I surround myself with and, and it doesn't take long. It's not, and I'm trying not to say like, but if I say it, whatever. Um, if it happens, I mean, yeah. l- let it be natural. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I think the natural nature of our conversations is actually what feels the best. Exactly. And if, if it comes out, we're thinking. We're, you know, we're trying to compile our words into something more, more coherent, mm-hmm. more than just trying to fill. I don't know. I do agree. And I think that's very deep, like what you said. The fact that we use these filler words to be more in the middle 
Like it keeps us. It keeps us safe. From, yeah. Well, we we're not gonna just blurt out our our raw emotion. You know, first thought. Mm-hmm. It gives us a bit of time to compose ourselves. Mm-hmm. Do Do you think? I mean, because I do. While we're having these conversations, I do agree, and and, and yeah, or I'll, I'll agree with you over the mic. But do you feel that's something that should stop, or it's a bit hard because it's like we are having a conversation. I don't think it should stop. Mm-hmm. I think it can stop naturally. And when I listen to interviews, I think it sounds better when there isn't that. It, when I say mm-hmm, you're speaking, it's me just wanting you to know that I hear you and I'm validating what Ooh. you're saying and that I agree and that we're on the same page. But I don't think it's necessary. I think you can state something. I can wait till you're done and that I can say, dude, I totally feel you. I agree with that. Or actually I see this differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but again, I think that that just, that's a time. natural like human reaction. Cause I want to, I want you to know. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, that's deep. We're like getting into the nature of conversations. Yeah. And th- you know, one thing that I, I listened to this kind of seminar recently and it was, it was about communication and listening and it was just pointing out when I'm listening and I think most of us do this as human beings. When I'm listening to someone say something, whether it's you, whether it's my wife, anything, my mind is already planning oftentimes what it's going to say in return. Or my mind is, is interpreting, is looking for things that you're saying that it agrees with or doesn't agree with. And it's skipping ahead and I'm not actually fully present. And and even if I'm saying, mm-hmm, sometimes it's because my mind is saying, yeah, I agree with that or I don't agree with that, rather than just giving a blank and clear space for you to express what you're going to express and then for me to respond in the moment. Because if you really dig into it, it's, it's totally normal. It's human nature. There's nothing wrong with it. I think it can be... Uh, I think it's a skill that can be improved and trained just like anything else of like really present listening. So noticing if, if you're speaking and my mind is going into this, whether I agree or not, uh, whether what you're saying is a threat to what I believe in, uh, whether, uh, you know, anything like that, that's what the mind does. And it's a huge problem, especially right now with people with different viewpoints and you look at these arguments and there's just no room that people aren't actually having a conversation. It's more like imposing their view and shutting down the other person. This tends to happen a lot. And the skill of listening, of just let really being present for that person to express, like I've been trying to do that and practice that mainly at home with my wife. And it really, as I started to do that, it really shifted something for me and treating everything that she says as something I've never heard before, as just an expression in the moment, being present for it, and noticing any time my mind is jumping in, jumping to conclusions, wanting to interrupt her, to impose my point of view, noticing that, and coming back to the present, breathing, and letting that expression fully happen, then I find that my response to what she says is much more genuine and relevant to the moment of what was coming up in that conversation. Mm. So listening skills are, I think really needed right now. (laughs) And this is a good chance to practice them. I'm saying, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree. Um, see there's the, um, 
it's okay, man. Yeah, we're getting into the nature of of listening and how the mind reacts in that. It's it's challenging because the mind often works in chains. So we get information and we start to build a web. We start to create or formulate something around what we've just received, what information we've just received. Whether it's good or not, I, I can't tell you. It's just how our minds have been trained to function. It's like if I were to tell you the grass is green, it's immediately the mind has all these different things that come up on the the subject. The grass is green. It's like an internet browser. Oh, why? What kind of grass is green? Why is the grass green? You know, what 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 does grass need to grow? What what are all these things? And why do they come up when we're listening? Why do we create these whole worlds? As soon as we're listening, as soon as we hit key words, we start to touch on these these webs that we've already built. And it's almost like if we can step back and fully absorb something before creating a web, it's almost like having the first conversation ever for humanity. You know, would there be any webs? Would we have any content? And is that web our identity? Because we'll often go to war over what that web looks like for us versus what the web looks like for somebody else. Here's the matrix. Do, do, mm-hmm. do, do. I think it seems every, most conversations now or discussions or arguments is really people defending what they believe to be their identity. And w- what we mostly believe to our to be our identity is our set of belief systems, our values, uh, what we do for a living, our experiences. That's my identity. Uh, but it's not because none of that is permanent. <laughs> well, I, I think it's 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 a very complicated process because you know within our identities we formulated these these whole thought structures of how to react or interact with our our environment with our with the words of other people with the opinions of other people which are just their words it's like this is maya you know this is the illusion here we are facing the great unknown of actually setting down our ideas to hear completely what another person has to say look into a whole other reality and then come back and what we have to do for ourselves as individuals is we have to reformulate what they said through our filters. It's like our whole world is fighting over filters in a sense. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel that true listening, being really present for what someone has to say is being willing to die. In other words, being willing for some aspect of my identity, being open for a belief system to die, being willing to be, to see it in a new light. And if I'm not willing for that, if I'm really closed around my ideas and uh, my values and what I believe, then, then I'm not willing to let those things die, which essentially I'm not willing to die as who I believe myself to be, then I'm not really listening. It's like, Ooh. whoa. And that, that insight just came from what you shared, so that's the value to me of true listening and conversation is uh, these insights can be born if I'm really present to what someone is saying because 
I'm willing when I'm when I'm present and conscious and mindful then I'm willing to have that aspect of me die <laughs> that's why like starting here was pretty profound just with everything that we have going on in the world um yeah and forcing myself even in this situation not forcing myself but bending myself in a place of I don't need to fill the space with words for example I I don't need to sit here and make sure I know I can respond to whatever you're saying I can actually give it a space to to receive what's being presented it's like if we stopped every moment that we were given or presented with some kind of information and we actually allowed that information to be as pure as possible, how much better of human beings would we be? And and this is where the challenging part of media comes into play because the media is a bunch of opinions from a group of people that have potentially some agenda, agreeable or disagreeable, you know, it's it's people talking. think we all have agendas right as well the agenda is in the sense of listening in the sense of of what we're talking about my agenda when i'm not mindful is the survival of my point of view and that's what i perceive in media now i think there's been a loss of pure journalism i've yet to find something that isn't tainted with bias and really a defense a survival of a certain point of view and in the case of media especially uh mass media or mainstream media corporate media it's really uh, it's it's all about money and that's that's comes from human beings we pursue money and money seems to drive in my opinion the media i don't see much of a conspiracy in the media this is my personal assessment of it other than it's all about the bottom line and what sells and the old uh the old expression if it bleeds it leads uh because we're drawn to that i use this analogy and i don't it's not perfect it's an imperfect analogy or metaphor i guess more of a metaphor in that if i'm sitting somewhere I'm just sitting in a park and to my left is uh, two people hugging and expressing their love for each other, just human love. And to my right is a lion killing a deer, it's just slaughtering a deer. So I have love on one side and just violent nature on the other side. Or two humans in a fist fight. My attention is going to naturally be drawn to that violence. Why? Probably because of a reptilian defense mechanism that that violence is near me and it's a threat to me. And so I need to see it. I need to make sure, you know, what's, how am I safe? So that's, I believe that same mechanism is at play in our use of media. And over time, media being corporate owned and being driven by profit is just responding to that. And those are the stories that they lead with. And a lot of times those are stories that they fabricate in order to make money. Or or maybe not 
fabricate, but they definitely expand upon as much as they can. Mm-hmm. The, they utilize that as their kind of their fulcrum point, you know, to start bending the rest of whatever their media is. And and it's not, yeah, it's not really necessarily diving into the the conspiracy of anything in media. It's just the awareness that nowadays when I turn on the news, if I ever open my phone and look at the news, the first reaction I get is actually depression or sadness or fear. And whether that's calculated to be that way or not, if that's just the real news, I don't know, but I know what I feel. <clears throat> also, I I think we, we touched on this a little bit on the last podcast too about how uh, the media... Well, how the media chooses fear over, you know, like good stories. Like a ha- but I like how you said, you know, in, in Apple we have we have a good news section and it's it's something good. But the main headlines are fear based. They're the world is going to shit, basically. And it made me also think about video games. So I grew up playing a lot of video games and still play some every now and again. But I noticed in every video game, there's some element of killing. There's some element of destruction. There's some element of, of violence in every video game. Even if they're like fun adventure games. Even if it's Mario. You're Even still Mario. jumping on people's heads and squashing, squashing them. And killing turtles. And So what is that element that, that we find is necessary in, in, to keep us entertained through violence? I don't know. But I, I think it's 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 more of a generalized question to see why for myself personally, why I feel inclined to participate in that. Video games those types of video games are especially marketed to boys. It seems it, I mean it's it's human nature especially for men. I think for most men there's a there's a competitive spirit that uh sometimes is exercised on the uh in a fight more healthily it's exercised in sports and competition so sports even sports there's an underlying violence in terms of domination over your opponent sports are a civilized way to act that out and to actually get f- fulfillment of that what I believe to be human nature mm. in terms of competition and winning. Uh, I love sports for that reason. And so video games, cause you know, my favorite video games as a kid were the sports games, uh, you know, Madden or I love FIFA or, you know, all those sports games. That's what I played. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the rush of winning victory. It, I don't, I don't think I was taught to love winning I think it's 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 a human nature. That's why there's sports all over the world. There always has been in every culture. There's some sort of competition. Mm-hmm. And the healthy way to act it out is through sports where there's uh, rules and uh, to, to prevent people from killing each other. Uh, you know, yeah, so it's a human nature. But not very long ago, there was the Colosseum and gladiators gladiators yeah. and people who were killing each other yeah. for sport. Mm-hmm. Maybe not by choice. I know a lot of them were, 
you know, slaves or people who are uh, prisoners. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like that was the entertainment. That's what people wanted yeah. of the world. You know? And now we have UFC. We have UFC, which has rules to hopefully prevent dramatic injury and death. But they yeah, keep we're getting closer. <laughs> yeah, but then there's there's newer, you know, fighting sports that are coming out where it's like bare knuckle boxing, or the, the slap, the Russian slapping, the, sla- the slapping game, which is it's it's hilarious because it's like we're we're pushing the boundary of death just a bit more. Maybe not with the slapping thing, but definitely with with some martial arts that I've seen recently, where it's bare knuckle, where it's um, there are no hold bards, like we can just beat the crap out of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Will the Hunger Games become reality one day? I mean. Personally, I, I I don't think that that's that far away. I think we always push the boundary of violence. Look at look at movies. Look at the movie Saw, for example. I've never watched it, but from what I've gathered, it's extremely violent, where people are cutting off their own limbs to escape this game and so yeah. forth and so on. Yeah. Look at Joker. I never saw it. Oh. The most recent one? The most recent Joker? The final scene in that movie, I've been watching videos of what's happening right now in the States. It's like, oh my God, that movie, just like cop cars burning, just chaos, you know. It's that movie playing out. I think I think other people on social media have pointed this out. Mm-hmm. Like that movie was huge movie. Yeah. M- many people saw it. It's in the conscience right now. And uh, it's almost like it's playing out. <laughs> in a I got to tell you something crazy about that. Because mm-hmm. we had a, a bunch of this is when the borders were open. So we had a bunch of guests during that time and people were coming to drink ayahuasca with us. And, um, when I was working on them in the general consciousness of everyone who was in that room, they had some element of this joker. So this is where I I personally believe there's some form of manipulation of the consciousness, you know, not as a grander conspiracy, but as a, just, we are receptive sponges. And whether we are aware how deep something sits in our consciousness, it does sit there. Like, I'm sure we all remember our first horror movie or one of the horror movies that we watched, those scenes that just shocked us. And those, they sit there. They stay there for a while. And what I noticed with Joker's element, um, from what I read from the reviews and what I've seen through the trailers and uh, some of the clips I watched online because I didn't watch the movie, uh, was this psychological, a very psychological movie showing like we're all a bit crazy and that's okay. Yeah. But what does that do to the mind when, when there are parts of us that, yeah, you know, they're, maybe they're not acceptable. For example, the movie The Purge, a similar thing is like we have these super dark elements, of course, and we need to let them go. And so they create this one night a year or whatever it is to to murder, to rape, to do all these terrible, terrible things. It's like this is the the complete um, consciousness system of humanity seeing its darkness for the first time. It's like we're, we're almost like Carl Jung looking into the void of our darkness, of our shadow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what the Joker did, what I perceive from that movie is I, I thought it was an incredible movie, just unlike any movie I've ever seen, and the acting of Joaquin Phoenix. But 
I found myself by the end of it, which I think is the point of the movie, and this happened for most people who watched it, rooting for the Joker because the whole premise of the story is that it's a movie about mental illness. He's mentally ill and he's, he's kind of disregarded and not heard by the society at large. And he ends up killing a bunch of people. He kills a talk show host on live TV. Sorry to ruin the movie, but it's an important element of it. And by the end of the movie, it's chaos. Cops are getting killed. Uh, uh, cop cars are burning down. And I'm like, yeah, go Joker. And then I'm like, wait a minute. This is, he's just on a violent rampage. And it's based on him not being heard. Uh, and some violence that was committed against him in his childhood growing up. I mean, it's actually really brilliant. It's a brilliant uh, take on where a human urge for violence comes from. And that behind every violent criminal, pretty sure all of them is a violent history, a violent childhood, mm. violent trauma. Mm. And it's replaying, they're re replaying it. And because of Joker, you're seeing life through the lens of, you know, in other Batman movies, the Joker is the villain and you're rooting against him. But then this movie, you see how he became that and you can only have compassion for him. And then all of a sudden you're rooting for him. Mm. And I see this playing out in our society now too. We're so exposed uh, to all the stories and all the suffering and, and it's easy to start to, we're a voyeuristic society. Yeah, we are now. It's so easy to be, everything is filmed. Everything is on social media. I mean, (laughs) this is a little funny tangent, but it's not funny. It's actually, it's very sad. But if you notice in, in tragic incidences, or like disasters, the first thing people do is they pull out their phone. Or there's a violence at a bar, they pull out their phone. They don't try and stop the violence. They're like, well, let, let me film it. What what happened to our minds where we actually were going to be humans and, and stop something? Uh, yeah, I think there are still people that try to stop things, not pull the phone out. There was uh, a video that went around with uh, it was protests in New York City. And people are protesting. They're angry, but they're peaceful. They're not destroying shit. And then there's this one guy uh, dressed in all black and he's, I think he has a hammer and he's hammering away, pulling bricks out of the sidewalk while these people are protesting. And one of the protesters comes and grabs him from behind and carries him and lifts him and carries him and delivers him to the police. So, so I haven't seen those videos. Yeah. Well this, I mean, to get into what's going on now, this kind of really awakened me to the complexities of what's going on and how easy it is, how easy it was for me to lump it all together that these protests and the people who are committing violence and the looting and the destruction, they're all part of the same protests Mm -hmm. when that's not true. There's a group of people that are, that are angry and that are protesting and just as it is their rights, it's one of the great things about the United States is you're allowed to protest. And then there's an element of people that are fucking shit up. And to see peaceful protesters take the law into their own hands and not put up with that because it's really destroying their message and what they're trying to do. And to see that happen, and that's just one element. of it. I, I imagine that's happening in many of the protests. We don't see it because that's not what we're shown. But uh, I think there are a lot of peaceful, mindful protesters trying to 
affect change, whether you agree with the premise or not, they're doing it in the right way, which I think is a constructive way. And then there's people, and then, you know, we can get into conspiracies about that, who those people are and what they're doing. Uh, uh, but not everybody is simply just there's a lot of that bystanders just wanting to film it and not do anything, but people do step in. We just don't, it's not, you don't see it as much, but <laughs> well, I'll make a correction as, as a blanket statement. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's on, it's the awareness that that's what I've seen so often. Like, yeah, you know, you, I can watch 10 million videos online of car accidents where the person is just filming. Oh shit. Oh shit. You see that? Oh shit. Yeah. <clears throat> Why don't you, put your phone down and go over and help the person get out of the car. Um, And I agree, you know, there are with these protests that we've been watching these videos, like there are people who are trying to affect change in such a, uh, a peaceful manner and they're trying to stop these riots. But on that psycho psychological note, you know, group mentality sometimes is so overpowering. Mm -hmm. And I think of, I went to a Motley Crue concert with one of my ex-girlfriends I'm not a fan of Motley Crue. I don't like that kind of music at all. (laughs) In fact, I think it's garbage. But being there at the concert, I found myself cheering and enjoying it just like everyone else. And I was like, and even when I look back at the concert, I'm like, that was a terrible concert. It was horrible. So much of drunk rednecks screaming at (laughs) Motley Crue as they go around a, you know, it was just, it was ridiculous. But I fell into it. And so if you can imagine just, the amount of anger that's been filtering through in these cities with, you know, there is so much disrespect that's been happening on the streets. And, you know, with cops, there's, there are bad apples. And I, I I remember talking about this post that I read that in, in some jobs you can't have bad apples but there are bad police and they have done terrible things. And I think people are tired of injustice being handed down from people who are meant to be upholding the law to the utmost degree. Mm -hmm. So I can see how the frustration has boiled to a point of violence or, or destruction. It's like the whole system has let them down. It's back to the Joker. It's like, you know, for psychological illness, like how many people really are held up by the system and supported you look at the veteran community and most of them are drug addicts or alcoholics or committing suicide, which is horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, yeah, I think, I think what we're really getting at is just a dissatisfaction with being ignored. Yeah. I was just, before we talked today, I've, I'm trying to, th- this, what's going on in the States right now after the George Floyd incident, the killing has really, I've been through a whole gamut of emotions about it and different perspectives and points of view, and I'm questioning a lot of things. And it's really led me to want to learn more about all sides of this because uh, one complaint I have with how this is covered is it's covered really simplistically as a very simple black and white issue. Not really, not, I'm not talking about black and white race, just black and white. It's this way or it's this way. And it's seemingly, in fact, a lot more complex. And so I've been just trying to do my research, whether it's through reading or watching YouTube videos. And this morning I was watching a YouTube video with uh, um, an economist, uh, a black man named Thomas 
Sowell, Thomas Sowell, yeah. And he's a conservative black economist. And uh, I was exposed to conservative black thought a while ago, and I went down a rabbit hole of that. And there's a whole movement. And what a lot they're mostly pointing to with what's going on now, and a lot of these interviews happened before what's going on right now. So I'd love to hear from these people uh, now in light of what's happened. But essentially, uh, there's a tendency right now in our culture to blame the system for failing us. Whether you're in the black community, whether you're a veteran, and or whatever community, economic, like poor communities. And what they're pointing to is what's failing us is our structures of starts with family and so the poorest communities in the united states not just black in fact the poorest community in the united states is white community in appalachia uh, there's a commonality of broken families absent fathers uh, value systems that have gone down the drain and this is a recent phenomenon uh, of the past 20 30 years and there are a lot of reasons it can be pointed to uh, but it's fundamentally proven that people that grow up in an unbroken home with two parents that are there uh, and a strong support system overwhelmingly succeed in terms of uh, joining the middle class, uh, having a quote-unquote successful, healthy life. And that the problem fundamentally lies in that. And broken families also what i perceive is like is a loss of a loss of faith or a loss of belief in or connection to something greater than ourselves and so our gods have become culture have become human beings celebrities rappers money money uh rock stars actors uh and that is also leading to a failure of the spirit <laughs> uh, to how is it a failure of spirit maybe that's the wrong way to put it i've found that in my journey uh, in life uh, especially through depression and then working with plant medicines and other modalities that when i connect with something that i experience to be a higher power I call it God. You can call it greater consciousness. You can call it universe. That I tend to act in more considerate and mindful ways towards myself and other human beings. I think it's essential. I think we've lost that in our modern culture. And I think it's possible to even be an atheist and yet still like there are con there are atheists that are all about mindfulness and meditation kind of a zen buddhist perspective and that also works but to put all of our faith into other human beings celebrities stars and and just follow them blindly and really make them our gods I think it leads to a, a failure 
or it leads to a really I'm having a hard time expressing this, but I think it's essential to have some sort of practice to get ourselves out of our own heads and our egos and our belief systems and all this stuff we hold on to. Uh, we don't that we don't want to die. We don't want our idea of who we are to die. So we defend it to the death and to get beyond that, to get out of our heads. And to me getting beyond that is that's what God is. God is that intelligence, which I perceive to be outside of my own ego and my mind. And that's been, I believe that's largely lost in our mainstream modern pop culture uh, that we have today. You can just look at the music, look at the art. It's, it's, it's mostly soulless, I find. I, I, I'm, I'm laughing at that because it's, it's so true. I've, I've had such a challenge getting good music on my Spotify. I've been listening to my Discover Weekly, and I listen to a lot of hip-hop, and it's been giving me these, these newer hip-hop artists that just they have no substance. There's no substance within their lyrics. There's no substance from what they're talking about. It's big booty bitches and guns and hoes and my neighbor got shot, and which are events that are happening in their life. But if you're starting to speak to a grander audience, as far as you know, for example, our, our like this podcast, like you have to be aware that you're presenting a mind to the world. You're presenting a set of filters to the world. And I don't think it's within the general consciousness to actually want to start expanding people's awareness anymore. I think there's that's died, which which is where I agreed with you with where do you think that's a failure of spirit? It, it is a failure of spirit. I agree 100%. But seeing, I think, I think with all these huge events that are happening right now we have you know covid we have murder hornets we have you know george floyd we have all these protests happening this global unrest we have us being put into basically house arrest for over 81 days people are being forced to stop in a very interesting way and actually look at the general surroundings of their world and we have two different avenues. I mean, there's many different avenues, but there's two main avenues which we can start going down. And we, we started the podcast with a really interesting place of setting down filters. Can we set our filters down while we're you know being presented with so many options to, to really cling on to and so many sides and so many opinions? And I, I don't... I don't think the general populace is ready to, to die. No. I mean, neither am I when I'm not catching myself. And every time I read a news story or a Facebook post that triggers me, I have two choices. And oftentimes it takes me a little while to realize I have a choice. And one choice is the default where my mind activates with a trigger and it gets into the story of accusation that they don't know what they're talking about. They're, they're not considering all aspects of this and that and blah, 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 in my view, in my opinion. And, and that can go on. And it's at a point now where I catch it because it, it actually, it's painful. It hurts my head. It like, I really notice it. And I attribute that to partly to uh, meditation, uh, to plants for sure. It's, it's increased my sensitivity to that, 
to um, to accusational, violent, separate thinking. Me versus them, their opinion versus mine. And I go down these rabbit holes and then this urge arises to get on the social media and do exactly what everybody else is doing, which is this back and forth, my view, my opinion, your their opinion, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if you, I, I haven't seen on any of these social media posts and then the ensuing threads, anybody say, huh, yeah, what you said is true. Thank you. You really changed my opinion. That never happens. I, I've yet to see it. There may be some rare instances. But for example, last night at my birthday party, it was my 40th birthday, thank you, I had an amazing conversation with a dear friend of mine who who has opposing viewpoints to me on some of these situations. But we had a conversation. There was no... There was space. I learned a lot from it. In fact, some of my own views and opinions shifted based on that conversation. And uh, perhaps hers too, I don't know. But there was this, this openness, this dialogue, which was really, really useful. And I think that's what we need. Hmm. Right now, I'm noticing, at least in, in, in the pop culture, in the media, anytime someone expresses something that isn't even charged, but if it doesn't acknowledge what the predominant viewpoint in mass media is right now, then they're they're labeled as racist or they need to apologize for what they said uh and i i think it's i think it's insanity mm-hmm. one example is i follow sports i'm a sports fan and the coach of the denver broncos vic fangio he recently said in in an interview this is like 2 days ago this is what he said he said and i'm paraphrasing but the gist of it was I don't see racism in the NFL. That's what he said. So he was simply expressing his point of view that he doesn't see racism in the NFL. He's known in the league, from what I read, as like a player's coach. Players love playing for him. He's hard, but he's a player's coach. He said the NFL is a meritocracy. You earn your way, and that's it. Based on your performance, how hard you work, what kind of character you have, that's it. And there was a huge backlash against him just for saying that. I don't understand why there can be a backlash for that. Other than this is a very sensitive time for racial topics, I understand that. But and I, this backlash, it's it's coming from the the people that posted a backlash. I don't know if the mass population feels that way, black or white, that what he said was wrong. Uh, but then you know, a couple of days later, he came out with this huge apology for being insensitive. But in his apology, he he basically said, after I said that, I sat down with some players who are um, uh, so you know really into social justice and they're activists and what's going on. And I really had a conversation with them, and uh, and we have an open dialogue. And I really see w- their point of view. Uh, he didn't really retract from his point of view that there's no racism in the NFL, but he simply said he uh, he totally supports these guys that are that are protesting right now because he can't, he didn't say this, but I, I think what I got from it is he doesn't know how it feels to be them. He doesn't know how it feels to be a black person right now in America. That's totally true. I don't either, but to be chastised and, and silenced and, and vilified for simply expressing, I don't see racism in the NFL. Mm. Like what's wrong with, what's wrong with expressing that, you know? So it's those kinds of things that trigger me and, but then I have a conversation with my friend and, and reiterating the point that it's true. I 
don't know what it's like to be black in America because I'm not. But I also listen to interviews of black people, the ones that you don't see in mass media. And uh, just today I was, in a, I was watching an interview of a black police officer and he, exp- he said a lot of things that are very counter to what we're hearing in the narrative today. So there are black people with differing opinions too. They're not getting a voice in the mass media. They're, you can find them on YouTube. Uh, so, but anyway, I'm really open. My, I, I notice my own opinions and views on it change. I noticed that even what I said in the last podcast, even a few days later, I was like, ah, oh, I don't really feel that way now. I hope I'm not offending anybody. Like, I don't think I'm racist. I really don't. Is there, is there a possibility there's some unconscious bias and racism in me? I guess, because if it's unconscious, then I, I guess I can't know about it. But my own experience is uh, I, I don't think I'm racist. And I also really would like to have a conversation uh, and really explore these topics and the nuances and the detail and the, the fact that it's really complex and there's so much that goes into it and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's no space for that right now, especially with the way that social media is constructed. And with Twitter, you've got a few lines, uh, you know, with Facebook, you, no one's going to read a three page post. So it's little posts and little opinions and blah, blah, blah. Drives me crazy. But, but social medias are orchestrated in that way. I wrote a post, um, I love that. I know which post you're talking um, about. About a month ago. Mm-hmm. And it got a lot of backlash. It got a lot of backlash. But it was just, what I pointed out in this post was, I, first I stated, look, this is not an opinion about the current circumstances. This wasn't, this was before George Floyd. This was during the COVID time. And it's funny that that was the co- the COVID time all of a sudden is kind of over, huh? It's just disappeared. So the cure to COVID is... Protesting. Protest. All right. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Which immunologists have said is actually the best thing to do is to get outside and actually spread it. And then... Anyways, so I've, I've created this post. I wrote this post and it was just after watching, you know, so many people fighting each other to the death about their opinion about COVID. And the reason I say opinion is that everything that we're hearing is being passed down a line. Everything about this, whatever's happening with this virus, this scary, terrible virus, is coming down a line in a form or another, one form or another. It's our choice to choose which line it comes down. So what I've noticed more than anything is, wait, the whole world is on lockdown. As a, as a whole world, we have stopped everything because we're afraid to get sick and in that while we're stuck at home we're fighting each other we're going after each other's opinions and just brutalizing them and i found no use in that and this is where i i found for today for example we started off in such a perfect place because this post was very much just stating, hey guys, like, why do we have to oppose ourselves against each other online and become social justice warriors on Facebook in this public setting and then fight to the death over the internet? What, what change does that actually bring? 
And what happened, what transpired after that were, I mean, there must have been at least 150 comments of people. You know, some people were like, yeah, I agree. And then other people were like, how could you be a, you know, pretend to be a spiritual guru in these times? It was just like, there were just people just putting venom. The comments were playing out exactly what you were calling out. Which was perfect. Which is, I was like, wow, thank you. And and to all these people that were starting to put venom into this, this comment thread, I was like, well, thank you for actually pointing out what I'm talking about. You're, you're proving my point. It's not about not having opinions. It's not about, you know, it's just being aware of where your opinions actually create war. And if we could actually set that down for a little while and find a commonality or some place of, of neutrality to communicate. And this is what I think you were stating with your, your whole, you know, this whole opinion on, not opinion, your, your thoughts around this whole situation, this, this current um, news. I agree. I agree. It's, it's, not, it's not that we're neutral and our silence is violence. It's that we're open enough to hear all sides, hopefully from an unbiased place, hopefully without a filter of, oh, but, 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 but. Um, and I think we've lost that. We lost that in science, too. You know, this is where science gets cut off because an opinion from 30 years ago that said that that's not possible still exists today. And so we, st- we stop ourselves from growing by actually creating a strong opinion and fighting for it. Yeah, the, and the whole silence is violence or silence is compliance. At least in the in the mainstream dialogue and thread, there's this pressure to react, to react and to speak out now. And and if you don't, you're bad. And how dare you? Yeah, and what I've learned in my own journey is the opposite of that. To actually take everything in, sit with it be with it, explore all the complexities of it, and then speak from a, from a response rather than a reaction. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to react. I think it's insanity. It's, it's, it's not going to solve anything. It's counterintuitive. It's, 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 it's going creating back. more separation. It's, just, it's the exact same energy. The, the people that, are, that have this belief that silence is compliance are perpetuating the same energy that they believe that they're fighting, which is an energy of separation and violence and us versus them. That's not going to go away. The only way that goes away is if we move above the story rather than keeping taking sides and perpetuating the story. We drop the fucking story. We meet each other as human beings and we listen and we respond not reacting reacting is the problem of the world it all it always has been how dare you say this i know how censor dare me. you say this <laughs> how dare you have an opinion that's different than mine that's well this is why i'm this podcast for me more than anything is a therapy it's an opportunity to express what i'm thinking in a, in a format and a platform that i can reflect with you and get clear about what i'm experiencing what i'm feeling what i'm thinking because the only way to really get clear i i think is to to use the mirror of another human being and to do it in a setting that 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 allows space and allows these expressions to come through and to actually evolve and as they come through 
rather than censoring people because you censor people and it's not like people are legally censored right now, but there is a huge societal pressure for people who have a differing opinion to not speak it because they get shunned. And so people are just going to hold in a really static opinion and not express it. And that's, that's how shit blows up. That's how you get violence. And this is where like with that post that I wrote, this is what my main concern was. My main concern was that we're fighting each other. We're fighting the wrong battle. The battle is us against the whole world on Facebook. It's us against anyone with a different opinion. It's us against whoever. And this this splitting of humanity is what's actually keeping the problems, you know, letting them flower more and more. Why why can't we stop stop the bitching between each other and this this argument? And and it's funny, I already hear the, because of the, the reactions on the post that I had, it's like, I already hear this, oh, but then that means don't have a backbone and don't take any kind of side and don't be, don't have any kind of opinion. That's, that's not what we're saying in any way. It's exactly what Alan was saying, this reaction versus responding. I'd prefer, like Alan said, I'd prefer to stop and really absorb everything before I even create any kind of opinion I'd rather that opinion form as pure as possible than it be tainted by well you know Johnny over there said that you know this person did this and I mean how dare they this is a funny example is I remember I was going to meet this person and this person I had been told oh man this person is like they're bad like you don't want to be friends with them they'll betray you blah blah blah, blah. all these weird weird things and at first I was listening to him. I was like, oh, God, like, maybe I should cancel hanging out with this person. And I was like, wait, this is, how, how would I actually know until I, I meet this person? I can create my own opinion. I'm, I'm an adult. I know that I have my own mind. So I met this person, and we became very good friends. And I could see how people created an opinion around this person's behavior, I have a very strange sense of humor. And so sometimes when I say something, it sounds, it sounds really bad. It sounds dark. But I'm, <laughs> I'm not serious. And so if you were to be a, a person I've never met, and you come and you listen to what I say, and you're like, oh my God, and this person, <clears throat> this person serves medicine and all this, you know, like how dare they behave like this? It's, it's my sense of humor. And hopefully upon meeting me, you know that I'm not that kind of person. Like, I'm very sarcastic. So, excuse me. So with these challenges that we're presented with today, it's what we have is an overwhelming tsunami of opinions and information. I remember sitting down with one of our friends on my birthday and talking to them about COVID. And I'll admit I had this formulated my opinion on what I think this whole situation was. And I still say it doesn't mean that I fully believe it. And we started to get into a kind of a heated argument. Oh, but you know, you know, your his family's doctors and they know, and they've seen evidence of this. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, but do you know, again, follow this and look at this. And, and then I stopped because I couldn't, 
it started to hurt. Like you said, it started to hurt to like even try and fight with my own opinion. It was so faulty. It was like fighting with a piece of paper. And I just said, well, actually, do you see what the virus is really doing to us? We've, we've pitted ourselves against each other because we've decided to be afraid or to not be afraid of whatever. And I think that's the real virus for me. And this is where I, I even when Al arrived, I said, there's no virus. And I say that because the main virus I see is this, this backlash fighting between each other over what? And, and that's the biggest virus is just these, these separations. Yeah. I think there's, it seems to me there, there is, there is a virus. Uh, there is the COVID virus, uh, but the impact and people have died from it and it's totally tragic. Uh, but then again, you can look at numbers of people who have di died of other causes in the same period of time, such as malaria and realize that, uh, Oh, this isn't that out of the norm. Uh, but I agree with you that the, the biggest detriment of COVID is what it's done to our minds and, uh, and how we have become separate in that regard and the fighting that's happening and the opinions. And, you know, some people, i I think all sides are justified. There are people with health conditions that feel really threatened by this. And if they see people gathering in mass, uh, they feel that's a threat to their own health and safety. And I've had scares with my health in the past couple months, uh, with malaria from Africa. And I know what that feels like. It's, it's really scary. I, I, I used to, before, before the last three months, I remember having a conversation with someone and I was like, you know, I'm not afraid of death. I, don't, I really don't have much fear anymore. And then I went to Africa, I had this Iboga initiation in March and, uh, that alone while this COVID thing was going down, lockdowns were happening. And then I, managed to get back to Peru and then the malaria hit me from Africa and I was afraid for my life. Malaria kills hundreds of thousands of people every year. Especially the African strain. As the African strain, Falciparum, yeah. I mean, that strain exists in the Amazon, but in a much smaller rate. And it's not talked about, but it's, it's, it's pretty deadly, especially if it's not treated right away. And in fact, my host in Africa, he had a 25-year-old son die of malaria. And I was hanging out, uh, in the compound where I was and there was a shrine to this, this young man who died. So that was on my mind and I got malaria. And so I really have compassion for people that are, uh, that are in the category of people that are potentially at risk from this virus. I totally get it. Uh, it's crazy how this has become so political. Uh, and it seems there's more and more evidence that uh, locking down and shutting down society isn't helping, it seems. But anyway, I don't know what I was going with that. W what I wanted to, to express was, uh, you know, this whole conversation about opinions and how painful it is to defend my opinion and the mind. And it just comes down to if looking at what I perceive to be really true spiritual teachings, whether it be from Buddhism or Taoism or even... Uh, elements of Christianity that I really perceive uh, that I really connect with and 
it's the idea that uh, all of our suffering uh, comes from attachment and uh, attachment or what's the opposite of attachment? Uh, clinging. Yeah, clinging or pushing away, right? And aversion or... Aversion, yeah, yeah. attachment and aversion. Thank yeah. you. Uh, and that's all this is. And I could... I have my own opinion about what's going on and I recognize that that opinion is not going to lead me to any sort of uh, uh, liberation from my suffering. As long as I continue to defend it, I am suffering. And what's playing out in the world, like there's a part of me when I'm in touch with it, I'm like, uh, there is no, nobody's right. <laughs> All of this is happening I'm really, th this is really hard for me to verbalize, but essentially what I perceive now when I'm in very brief moments, most of the time I'm caught up in my mind and suffering, but what I perceive in brief moments is first there is what happens in life. Then there is the story we tell each other about what happens. But the story isn't what happened because what happened already happened and then we have an interpretation about it, right? And so our word language is very powerful because this is how we paint our picture of reality and what's happening. And everything, all the violence is happening is a battle of stories, one story versus another. Fundamentally, neither of them are true. It's a battle of stories. And when I really sit with that, it's a very powerful experience for me to recognize that. And this is, to me, what the great teachers of the ages have been getting at, whether you're talking about Buddha or Jesus Christ or all sorts of spiritual teachers, many that have come since. That's the point uh, that they're getting at. And liberation from the mind is no longer subscribing and believing the stories that the mind tells. And the only thing the mind is trying to do when I, when I speak of the mind, I mean the ego, the only thing it's trying to do is survive. And how does it survive? It survives by defending its, what it perceives to be its opinion in the moment. But if we really notice and we really stay open and notice the opinion changes from one minute to the next, it's always changing unless we're clinging, really clinging to an opinion. And that's when heads, butt people clash and people get really firm about their opinion and they're not open to change and it's crazy. And I, I, I go down that loop all the time, but I really think it's important. I, I think the way humanity evolves is a mass is for the masses to start to recognize that their stories are futile. It's human nature to have stories, but let's not be so attached to them. It's a beautiful thing. That's the beauty of being, being human is we have language and we communicate and we create stories about what this is. That's also the power of being human. We literally are all empowered to create our life. And that's to me, that's not new age woo-woo stuff, this manifestation stuff. It's literally, we have the power to choose which story we tell ourselves about what our life means. Because in my experience, what, I've, what I see and what I hear and what I really resonate with is the concept that life is inherently meaningless. Why is it meaningless? Because life at its fundamental, what it is, it happens 
And then we as human beings create a meaning. For all I can tell, animals don't ascribe a meaning to life. Obviously, I can't get in their brain, so I can't see for sure that they don't have a mental dialogue. So um, my cat, you know, I don't think my cat thinks to himself, okay, I'm going to go up to Al right now and I'm going to rub my head on his leg and purr and, uh, and hopefully he'll pet me and then he'll give me some food because that's what I really want right now. There's no diet. I don't, I don't think that's there. Uh, or, or a cat gets chased by a dog and then the cat sits there and cries and dwells about how this dog is always attacking him. No, the cat just moves on, either lives or dies in that encounter, whatever. So, so at first there's no meaning. And then we as humans, this is our creative power is we create a meaning after the event. If you really notice something happens and then we have a story about it always, the story cannot happen simultaneously to what's happening. And so we create stories and then we spend our whole lives. I spend most of my life when I'm not being mindful of defending the story that I've created, which inherently is not actually true because it was created after the fact of what happened. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think the, yeah, seeing how we have these chain of events mentally and, you know, internally and externally, it's, it's, it's a powerful way to start untangling ourselves from reaction versus responding. This is where I think media really starts to take the forefront of that because it's, again, it's another chain. They've added an extra process to the mental process. They have the, the video of the situation. Then they have their story of the situation. And then we have our story of the situation after rewatching it. And yeah, I think this is the main reason I've, I've set down the news. I became so tired of watching things that, man, I really don't know what happened. This, this person has a very small clip of what may have happened, but I didn't see all of it. I wasn't there. I wasn't present. And then they're telling me the story of actually what happened on top of the video. I don't know if you've ever watched those videos of like, and then this happened. There's like, there are GoPro scenes. You know, like a guy jumps off a cliff and then his parachute doesn't open. But then he lives. It's very interesting to see how that's kind of like our media. Our media gives us, and then this happens. Then they'll show us a clip. And then they'll tell us the outcome. We don't get the full story. We don't. We're not there. And this is this is a challenge of our of a modern age of of lines of information. Um, we have all these filters that are being filtered to us. So it's. I hope that we, and I mean you and I, through these these experiences of our podcast, we can start to dissolve the filters that have been put upon us that we have taken in. Ex- on purpose, uh, many of them, and that we can hopefully find a place, a space, not of necessarily neutrality, but almost like a bardo. We can find a bardo of, of space to really navigate information in a clear head, with a clear head, 
to create what? And I hope that we always look at the chain of the process. I hope we say, okay, I, I know globally right now there's protests. I know globally right now there's still COVID. I know globally right now. But what does that actually mean for you and I as individuals? And how can I, through these massive social pressures, how can I find a neutral, a neutral ground to, to become filterless? To become open enough to even see my world more clearly, my current surroundings, my friends, my family. Um, how can I? How can I destroy those filters? And I'm not saying this is like a spiritual kind of mentality, but it is. It's a spiritual process to untangle ourselves or to disillusion ourselves. And I think this is what you're pointing out. I hope I'm. I'm touching. It was very, very. Yeah large side trail but i think I, I don't think it was a side trail at all it, that's exactly what i'm pointing to and it seems to me too i mean the whole work with plant medicines and that you do with ayahuasca isn't that kind of the purpose of the work it's really clearing the weeds from the mind to see more to see more clearly is it possible you think to see completely clearly I do actually. Yeah. I do and I think that's where whether you call it an enlightened state or a very high state of consciousness I think if we could see everything as clearly as possible our whole world shifts naturally. And this is like you pointed out this is what plants want us to do. Plants are so connected into nature they're so present. You know, a flower blossoms when it's time. A leaf grows when it's time. It's it, they just do it. Like you said, there's no forementioned story as to why and what what you know. And I think nature is waiting for our clarity because nature in itself is clear. Nature in itself is pure spirit. I, I've shared this quote with you before, but and I can't remember who it's from. I apologize, but nature is visible spirit. Spirit is invisible nature. Now, from this tangent, what, what are we pointing out with, with media in our modern age? Well, in our modern age, we have filtered our reality through some sort of medium, whether it's a podcast, whether it's YouTube, whether it's mainstream media, whether it's whatever. We have a filter of somebody explaining what we should see. Now, this is where I think, this is an opinion, but this is where I think enlightenment itself, this idea of enlightenment can be a trap because it's not natural. We, th we, we start to create this idea of an enlightened state and we start to enact or create like a, an image of it, Christ, Buddha, Zoroaster, and sure, maybe they were enlightened figures, but they hold a bar that's so high that we feel as humans, maybe we'll never reach them. But this is where I feel being as clear within ourselves, being so natural that we are completely ourselves without apology, without story, that's, that's to me is liberation. And this is what we see in ceremony is that a person in their mental world, these, everyone who sits in front of us, their whole universe, their whole world. And the process that we do on our side is we with the assistance of plants, we start to remove 
the stories, the, the tanglings of the mind, the knots that have been created in the heart, the spirit that's decided to leave at parts of fear, and we just bring them to a place of hopefully wholeness. Hopefully. <laughs> but it's, it's a choice on their part. Literally, like me as Felix, I don't really, I don't do anything. I just, I get to watch this incredible show of lights and shining things. And, um, but in this process, the main goal is to allow the person to see where they have trapped themselves from existing. And, and I mean that in a way that so often with our opinions, with our filters, we've built this world of dreams, of ideas, of falsities that aren't, aren't true. They're limiting beliefs. They're, they're these blockages. And sometimes they form physically and sometimes they form mentally and sometimes they form spiritually, but they stop us from, from freedom. And the best maestros I've seen, they've never done something for me. They've brought me to a place to learn by myself through my own examples. Because basically the whole book of your life up to now has all the answers that you need to get through the rest of it and, and into a higher spiritual state. You have all the answers there. They're just set in little corners that you have to find. And this is where plants are like, naturally, where did the water flow? Naturally, where did your ideas grow? Naturally, where did your earth, where was it healthy and where was it unhealthy? What were you standing on? And it's an incredible, this is, this is going down a rabbit hole, but it's an incredible process for me on a, in my lifetime to witness this in ceremony and then try and interact with that in this 3D world of sober consciousness uh, and recreate that. And I'm not, and in no ways am I perfect at that, but it's just what I feel more and more is being a, the best expression of myself in whatever way it can be. And yeah, and then coming to a place of neutrality and then being able to play with that space. Because all of those things that I ever thought I could be naturally can also be changed. It's like changing the core programming of me. Um. Yeah, and I'd rather be happy. That's all I want. And I can change that at any point I want. Our limiting beliefs or what we see for people who have depression or anxiety or things like this are stories that they've wound themselves, they've, they've put themselves in these holes and there's ladders inside and there's an elevator and there's all these ways to get out. But they keep wanting to go back to that hole because it's comfortable it's like with the the media and its fear programming it's like we we go to that like we started you know with, with violence it's like we go to that there's some reptilian aspect of ourselves that is comfortable with the idea of fight or flight it's so deeply rooted in us that we go back so same thing with depression we started being depressed very young and it wasn't depression then but it was a very interesting space to feel this new emotion of sadness and to be in there and to really love it, even though we hated it. And like you said before we started the podcast, how we reflected that or put that on our world and we could find validation for our reasoning to behave and to be. And so, 
yeah, zooming back out into our, our global situation, it's like you absolutely always have a choice. It doesn't matter if you're in prison. It doesn't matter if you're locked in solitary confinement. It doesn't matter if wherever you are, you always have a choice. You are always free. It just depends on your mind. That's beautiful. What what comes up for me when, like I, yeah, you couldn't have put it more beautifully, and that's what I've experienced in my own journey of from depression. So when I was depressed, I would I would recognize now that I would go through the world, and there was this really subtle. It's not so subtle now, but uh, a story of what I was telling myself that the world was and that people were. And uh, I felt like a victim of my circumstances. And I found evidence for that. And, you know, I remember hanging out with friends or social gatherings or at work. And everyone's having fun and I just am having a shitty time. And I'm just finding evidence in everybody that uh, they're selfish and they're... um, shallow and all these things I told myself and I've done a lot of intentional work on this uh just getting awareness of firstly just the story I told myself and that's shifted and now I'm pretty confident that I could go back to those exact same scenarios and have a completely different experience go back to that party that gathering that work scenario um and I I experience this now it's like you know you can have two people recount their experience of the exact same event and you're going to hear a very different story that's proof to me there's you're seeing through different lenses and but what comes up for me through all this it's it's taken me a lot of time uh to get to where i feel how i feel now in terms of depression and how i see the world and and while depressions can still creep in a bit at times i'm quite quickly conscious of it and i see it for what it is and i sit with it and um, mostly now though I, I, I see the world in a very different light than I used to and I want to hang out with friends usually I'm really excited and I just feel the love and I see the love uh, and that's not how I saw things before and I, I do believe that uh, the world if everybody in the world could have the experience that I've had I, I think there are different prescriptions for different people in terms of how they're going to heal from their own wounding and their own lens through which they see the world that blocks them from having a really connected and loving existence. But if everybody had access to what I've been through and it's been plant medicines, it's been uh, mainly plant medicine and teachers and just surrounding myself with people that really shared a lot of wisdom with me. And sometimes I, I feel uh, I want this for the whole world, but I think, man, a lot of people, I don't know how they can access this, you know? Um, But then I think, well, if I was able to, then they can, but how is the world going to heal, Felix? (laughs) (laughs) That's such a big question. (laughs) Let's play with an idea. Let's let's play with ideas because I don't have answers. I have ideas. And... I like that. The The first thing I think of is when you were talking, it was I'm, I'm, during this whole podcast, actually, I've been kind of like going to a void space of like just absorbing you. <laughs> Not in a creepy way, but just like really absorbing everything that's that's coming through. And 
absorbing the last bit of words that you said about your depression and how you interacted with the world, I, I, I totally did the same, but from a place of paranoia. And what I eventually realized is I genuinely never know what is going on behind the person's eyes, what, what they're actually thinking. Like the person could be thinking, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I have no idea. But I'm thinking, oh my God, they hate me. Oh my God, they're doing this. Oh my God, they're judging me. And I would interact with the world in that way with my own story of what their thoughts are saying. So I just spent so much time paranoid about what this, okay, this person hates me or, you know, I'm in trouble or I'm in danger, whatever. You know, I created this world. Globally, I see us, I see us at a place again of these massive crossroads. We're at a huge crossroads. And this is something I come to every morning. I sit down with my coffee and I just think we're at a crossroads. And what at the base of this, for me, what I feel is we're at a crossroads of death, life and death on a, on a global scale. And whether that means physical death or mental death or egoic death or whatever, I feel we're being pushed towards a death of something we know. And it's terrifying. We don't know what's next. We don't know what's going to be after this. And people are even saying this with memes. You see the memes of like the aliens who are like, oh, I guess we're coming up next. We're pretty nervous. Or the murder hornets or all these like really strange things this year. It's kind of been like the Hunger Games this year with all these weird new terrifying things to come forward but we're facing death we're gonna die and i think we need to let ourselves die i think we need to let it all die and again not as like a spiritual sense but as a just a hard fact like death death is what we're all aiming for we ignore it so often in life until we're presented with a situation of fear or paranoia or depression where we start looking at it. And right now we're all looking at death. We're looking at a great change. We're looking at something that's going to lead into the unknown. And so we're at our, we're at our final exam, what I feel. Now, how do we heal this? How do we change this? I feel this is something I've noticed with, with ceremony and, and the work with the medicine is like the less I am involved, the less I think or the plants, I whatever, whatever imposition I can have on the situation of this incredible being that's in front of me, the better. Because naturally through nature this person is going to find their own truth period and there's nothing i can do or nothing that can be done to force that and naturally right now we are being brought to a place of finding a truth and we're being given different avenues to do that being on lockdown going into protests watching society and economy start to go down the drain we are watching things melt we're watching our reality melt around us but each individual is going to find their way to navigate that. 
like I said before, their book of life up until now has all the answers for what they need to get through the next part. All they have to do is look back. Because the answers are there. The answers are here. You've made it to this chapter. You're going to make it to the next one, no matter what it looks like. So I think the best thing to do is to not touch anything. Yeah. I, I don't, again, I, just ideas. Yeah. These are thoughts. <laughs> this totally. is what happens. This is what comes from coffee. Well, I, yeah, beautifully said. Because if if I were to try to go out and show everybody what I perceive to be truth or a healing or their path, then it's, it's false because it's just coming from me and our whole, I, I also subscribe. I, I also think this is a belief system. So I can't vouch that it's absolute truth, but I believe that we're here. This is a school and I think we talked about this in the last one, but as he's saying it again, I choose to see life as a school and that makes every challenge, every difficulty meaningful and worthwhile. So I choose that story that it's a school and the teacher isn't me for anyone other than myself and totally right. And holding space with plants and medicine, it's really creating a space for people to realize their own inherent access to wisdom and truth to be their own teacher on their own path and that's it that's totally it and even you know gurus i think there's false gurus and true gurus true gurus it's simply their presence uh creates a space for people to realize their inherent nature as divine beings or however you want to put it a false guru is telling people how to get there um or telling them how it is i've never really been well, I can't say that. I've never been uh, in proximity to someone who calls himself a guru. Definitely been around people that being around them, I, I, I evolve and grow. And it's because they're not trying for me to evolve and grow. They're simply being themselves uh, in, in a very skillful way. So I really need to urinate. So I'm just going to pause real quick. Or let, let me just I'll yeah. really quickly finish yeah. something yeah. <laughs> and we can actually just end it because this okay. is a beautiful note to end it on. Sweet. But it's one thing I love about you and I, we call each other God Yeah, for, God. for, for the podcast listener. Yeah. We, the first thing we say is, yo God, what's up God? We learned that from hip hop. We learned that from Wu-Tang, <laughs> yeah. but it's a, it's a way to see the world, you know, going back to what you said about this higher connecting to something larger than us, whether it's meditation, whether it's, you know, it's so fun to to acknowledge that this divinity and everything mm-hmm. it's like i like the school idea it's not an idea it's how i interact with the world as well mm-hmm. it is a school or in university mm-hmm. so what are we going to choose to do with these these unfoldings in front of us mm-hmm. so yeah and it's a university it's unlike any school uh the traditional view of schools is uh you learn more information and the university of life is about moving past uh, realizing truth lies in presence. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right. Full cool. circle. Full circle. <laughs> Sweet. Hey, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. Once again, this is uh, medicine for me. Same. Just having these conversations and unraveling. And there's so much 
so much more that I want to. We didn't even touch on what we were actually aiming for. I the know. <laughs> well, what we said before we got on the podcast, we didn't even go there. I just, I love the organic nature of it. And yeah, there's a part of me that's like, oh, but we need to talk about this and this and this. But, you know, those things will come up naturally as they need to. And I don't, I don't think it's useful to have a five hour podcast. We can Agreed. dose it. So, uh, thanks. Thanks God. I love you, man. Love you God. <laughs> thanks All for right. listening guys. Thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time.